Maybe if we can quantify the level of over-engineering that's going into something, we can distinguish it on a scale yeah. between website and web app. Right. Yeah, maybe we could do it on page size. Like if it's three megabytes of JavaScript <laughs> bundle, then it's a web app. Right? <laughs> but if it's 10 megabytes of images, then it's a website. There yeah. you go. <laughs> wow. Totally fair argument. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. Check them out at LaunchDarkly.com. And we're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Get $100 in hosting credit at Leno.com slash Changelog. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Strappy. Strappy is an open source, headless CMS that frontenders love. It's 100% JavaScript, fully customizable, and developer first. Strappy is more than a node framework and more than a headless CMS. It saves API development time through a beautiful admin panel anyone can use. It's open source, it's agnostic. Choose your preferred database and API options using GraphQL or REST. It's self-hosted and GDPR compliant. Control your data, privacy, and cost at all time. It's customizable, create content structures that flex to fit your needs, customize the admin panel as well as the API, and extend your content management with custom plugins. To get started, head to the homepage using our special URL, strapi.io slash gsparty. That's S-T-R-A-P-I.io slash gsparty. And click the Get Started button for a step-by-step guide to create a sample app using Create Strapi app. Strapi is also enterprise ready. For those who need to unlock enterprise features and services, email gsparty at strapi.io and connect with Maxime, the resident expert, on guidance and a special offer for gsparty listeners. Again, that's strapi.io slash gsparty. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern, and you can be part of the show. Come hang with us in our community Slack. It's totally free. Head to changelog.com slash community and sign up today. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. friends it's time once again for a js party i'm jared i'm here to host a debate this is our yep nope format wherein we come up with a premise we team up and we debate either side of that premise whether or not we actually believe in the side that we're assigned we'll find out later i am joined by four friends let's just get through it real quick we got <laughs> nick amel divya and Faros with us what's up everybody hi hi Hey, everybody. What's going on? Hello. And our teams will be Divya and Faraz versus Amel and Nick. Are you all ready? Let's do it. Do you want to do any smack talk to get started or like (laughs) announce how you're about to dominate or anything like that? Like in WWE? Yeah. Take your down. (laughs) I don't know what they say. Well, I used to watch it actually a lot, strangely. Or we could just do a stare down like at a, at a weigh-in for MMA or something. You just stare at each other. But that doesn't make oh, for, yeah. oh, Nick's staring us down. doesn't make for very good <laughs> podcasting. So I'll move on. The premise for today's debate is one that is uh, debated online and in the industry sometimes, which is that web apps are fundamentally different than websites. So we will have one team representing the yup, 
which is agreeing that web apps are fundamentally different than websites. And that will be to Team ML. And then we'll have Team Divya representing the nope side of the debate, which argues that web apps are not fundamentally different than websites. So two minutes on the board. We do this semi-formal. We don't get totally dressed up. We get dressed up a little bit. That was a failed attempt at a semi-formal dance joke. I'm not sure if nobody got it or if it just wasn't very funny. Oh, well. And we set some timers. So there'll be a two-minute timer for you to make your case. If you run out of time, you'll hear this sound. And your time will be up. If you run short, that's totally cool as well. Just go ahead and concede the rest of your time. And we'll go back and forth. So we have the yeps first, Team ML, two minutes on the board. And uh, who's going first for Team ML? Is it ML or Nick? I say gentlemen first. So Okay. Reverse <laughs> oh, no. chivalry. Appreciate wow. it. Reverse. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, Nick, yeah. you are on the board for two minutes. I was going to make a really bad joke about how, you know, Men actually run the world anyway, so oh well. <laughs> like, just kidding. No, I was. Amal dropping truth bombs. <laughs> I like how Amal introduces her jokes by saying she was going to make the joke and then she makes it anyways. Kind of in a reverse, kind of a sneaky joke there. All right. Nick, you're running the world. Not. I'm running the clock. Two minutes on the board. Uh, here you go, Nick. All right. Web apps are fundamentally different than websites. Now, my opponents here are probably going to say that to an end user, it probably is no different because you're just hitting them from a browser, you're going to a URL, and you're using whatever is there. And I'm going to say that I disagree with that because they are fundamentally different. And when you look at it from the perspective of actually building them, they're really fundamentally different, or they can be really fundamentally different. Uh, but first, I'll start by kind of trying to define what each one is. And I'll just say quickly that a website is informational, it's defined by its content, and it can be minimal on scripting, although that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. The content is typically static. And then a web app is defined by its interaction with the user. So it's more, what can the user do with this? And it definitely expects interaction, which means it probably has scripting on the heavier side. So a lot of JavaScript, a lot of other scripting languages in there potentially doing things. So I think that they are fundamentally different just in that definition because a web app is something that you're going to interact with and a website is going to be something that you're just going to look at and consume the data. And some examples of that is I think that GitHub is a really good website to look at my code and to see what's going on there and to do a little bit of minimal interaction. I can you know press a button to do a pull request as long as everything is, is green and I can't really, you know, change things like like uh, resolve conflicts or anything because it's just a website that's giving me a lot of information and letting me interact with it in a minimal way. But if I want to actually go in and change my code, I'm going to load the Codespaces web app and use that to change my code, uh, or Vim if I'm if I want to actually be productive. <laughs> Another example would be like I want to look at pretty web design. Oh, all right. Sorry, Nick. You wasted all your time doing Vim drops. <laughs> <laughs> which is time well spent I will say yep. great job teammate though okay so team Divya you now have two minutes to respond you can also just ignore everything Nick said and just state your case however you want to do it who's going to go first for team Divya I can go alright Divya you got two minutes on the board it's all yours go ahead alright so websites and web applications are not fundamentally different but I will make the argument that at one point in time 
Um, the reason why there seems to be this artificial difference is because in the beginning, websites or the way we see websites and web properties were static in the sense that you had to SSH into your server, you had to FTP your content, everything was static, mostly HTML. But then in the early 2000s, we saw full stack frameworks come into the fore, mainly LAMP stack and so on. And these were web applications in the sense that they were not static. They were not just plain HTML files. They were actual PHP running on a server. You needed Apache and so on. But as time moved on and as web development developed, we saw this shift where now we have software as a service, where there's hosted platforms that allow you to do things that were not possible before. And what I mean by that is that the traditional sense of the website is no, and, and the traditional sense of web app no longer exists. Like the difference between them is fairly well non-existent in this point, because now whatever you can do with regards to this static versus dynamic is not really a dichotomy that you can talk about. So for example, Nick brought up this idea that you can't do this minimal user interaction on a static site. Well, there actually is a lot of user interaction that you can include because you have things like hosted databases that you can make calls to, sites can start static, and then you can build up APIs using, there's like so many microservices, there's a whole API economy that allows you to do things. So you could have something super dynamic, like a Shopify site that is completely full end to end. And therefore websites and web applications are not very different. For us, did you wanna add? 10 seconds. Yeah. Okay, 10 seconds, really? <laughs> All right. I'll just give back the time. I'll take the 10 seconds in the second part. All right, Is fair that enough. legal? Yeah, we'll get you an extra 10 on the next time. All right. All right. That was Divya's turn. And of course, as your moderator, I'm here to, to provide real-time fact-checking. Nick asserted that you cannot perform merge conflicts on, or you cannot fix merge conflicts <clears> on <throat> GitHub.com. Fact-check, false. You can actually do that. Okay. We you can. Will, Limited, you can do limited merge conflict fixes now. Can't you? Like some things, they still make you check out. Do they? You can do. Really? Lim well, I don't know how fast you're going to get. Yeah, I think it's limited. But, okay. anyways. <laughs> if wow, there's so conflict. But Nick did not say it. So, you're fact checking my fact check, or what's going on? <laughs> I've never seen that UI. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's definitely a merge uh, conflict uh, resolution there is. UI. And there it is. Yep, I, there is. I don't know how limited it is because apparently my merge conflicts are all <laughs> relatively all simple because I'm so basic. <laughs> when did GitHub become a web app? <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, let's get back onto the board. We're going now back to Team Amel and to Amel herself. The chivalrous one. Uh, Amel, you get one minute to respond because mm -hmm. uh, that's less time than the other people got. I don't know. Okay. It doesn't explain why, but go ahead. You got one minute. Sure. Um, so I'd like to say that I'm going to take a different approach with my one minute, which is just like fundamentally assert that the web has evolved and that websites and web apps are terms used to, I think, distinguish level of complexity and expected interaction for users. And so, you know, if I'm interacting in a website, I'm really expecting a more static experience, something that's typically a read. And when I'm interacting with web apps, I'm really, you know, like there's a context shift there. There's a lot of read-write behavior. You know, and I think it's really important for us as web developers to push the term of web app because, you know, users have native apps on their phone um, and we have progressive web apps that essentially are allowing web apps to compete with native apps in their domain. And so, you know, users 
essentially can't distinguish sometimes between, uh, you know, is this button launching a browser that's full screen or is this launching a native app? And I, I think it's, you know, yes, that's it. I'm, okay. Oh, continue the rest of my arguments later. <laughs> okay. Good job, Mel. We go now to Faraz. One minute and 10 seconds to respond. Yeah. So we're talking about the whether websites and web apps are different from each other. And you know, I'll concede right away that obviously there are different types of websites. There's there's static blogs on one end, you know, static sites that are basic HTML. And then on the other end, there's things like full graphic editors like Figma and there's 3D multiplayer games. So there's obviously a huge range of, of different types of websites. So, you know, the other side is arguing that there are, there are differences in the types of websites that you can build. And that obviously makes sense. So, I'll, you know, our side will totally concede that. But at the end of the day, these are all just websites. You know, the web is extremely capable and amazing. It can do all kinds of uh, types of experiences. Um, but fundamentally, we're dealing with the same web technology. You know, a user visits a URL, the server sends some HTML, the browser displays it, it runs some scripts, and all this stuff is running inside of the same thing. It's running inside of a web browser. All the same browser features work, the back button, the forward button, the refresh button, the bookmarks, the history, your browser extensions. You know, you can copy and paste URLs and share web websites to other people. So, you know, if we were debating whether native apps and web apps are different, I would agree. But come on, we're talking about websites here. All these different types of things are websites. Just ask the W3C or what WG or TC39. You know, they're all working on one set of standards for websites. They're not making a separate set of standards for other websites. So by this appeal to authority, uh, you, all sh you should see that uh, we're talking about the same thing here. Uh, not to mention, the other side has already been fact-checked and proven wrong. So take that into account. <laughs> All right, real-time fact check here. Faraz stated that the back button always works. Fact check false. Oh, my God. No, it usually works unless it's been tampered with. I think that's a fair point. I was going to argue that that's a key feature of a web, of app, a web app is you don't have that all of that built-in functionality working. With that fact, we will take a break, and we'll begin round two right after this. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is code search for every developer and team. Easily search across all the code that matters to you in your organization. Find example code, explore and read code, debug issues, and so much more. And I thought about Lu, CTO and co-founder of Sourcegraph, and asked him to share what code search is, what developers and teams are missing out on, and how Sourcegraph provides code search to every developer in the world. If you've worked inside a Google or a Facebook or any one of these really big, well-respected technology companies, chances are you've used something like code search before and you, you know the value that it provides to your team. You know that almost every single engineer inside these organizations uses it on a, a daily basis. If you've never had that experience, chances are you may not know what you're missing out on. You know, the term code search sounds a lot like, you know, grep or the search inside your editor. And that's what a lot of people think when they first hear it. But it's really about much more than that. It's really about connecting you as a developer to the broader universe of code and code related data that's relevant to you, that you need at hand in order to enter that you know, magical flow state of you know, being in your editor, writing code quickly, making rapid progress towards that feature bug fix that you're working on. It's really about making all that contextual information accessible at your fingertips. And what that means is think about every single repository, every single file, and every single language, uh, every single diff. 
and every single open source dependency or maybe closed source dependency that's shared across your organization. All that is searchable through a single text box. And that's really powerful because it means all this friction is eliminated between you and understanding that broader world of code. You don't have to clone stuff down to your local machine. You don't have to mess around with editor config. You don't have to be constantly bugging people on other teams who may not even know who you are in order to teach yourself how all that code works. What Sourcegraph is, is really a way for the rest of us, the people who don't work inside the Googles, the Facebooks, to get a tool that gives us access to that sort of information readily and, and at our fingertips. It's really about bringing this, this type of tool that a lot of the larger technology companies have developed and invested hundreds of millions of dollars into making for the productivity of their own engineers and making that accessible to every single developer in the world. All right, if code search powered by Sourcegraph sounds like something you and your team can use, head to info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog and click the button that says try Sourcegraph now. You can install locally, deploy it to a server or to a cluster. They have a quick start guide that takes less than five minutes to install Sourcegraph using Docker, so it's too easy to give it a try. Again, head to info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. Round two of Yep, Nope, we are debating, are web apps and websites fundamentally different? Yep, nope. We're here to find out. Divya, it is now your turn. You have two minutes to state a case or refute something that your opponent said. Go ahead. Thank you for the floor. As Faraz mentioned, I'd like to just build upon his case, which is a lot of the times when we talk about this artificial difference between websites and web applications, we actually mean the same thing because we're talking about browsers and browser technology and how exactly these assets are viewed by users. And I know Amal had mentioned that the end user experience doesn't matter so much and we should focus on the building of it as a whole, but I think it should account as a whole because ultimately when you look at websites and maybe if you wanna call it web applications, which is basically a website, Ultimately, it's about how you build it as well as how it is perceived from an end user's perspective. What I've focused on so far is the building of a website and a web app. Same thing again. The idea that you can build a fully functional, dynamic website using a lot of technologies without you having to artificially call it an application. So this difference between static and dynamic is kind of artificial. If anything, it's a range, as Faraz had mentioned. Websites can range from something incredibly static to something incredibly dynamic, like doing merge conflicts on GitHub, which is possible. And that is something that we should take into consideration. And from a user's perspective, they also don't see that difference as a whole. Because in addition to being able to see content directly, they can also interact directly with a website. And to them, it's imperceivable, the difference. And of course, they would not know the terminology and the differences between them, but I think it matters to talk about and to focus on as well. I think the other thing to talk about also is just how websites are served. We often talk about websites as static, where it's on a CDN and web apps as something that are on servers. And the thing is that artificial difference makes sense when we think of static sites and CDNs as hosting static properties. However, with the movement of edge computing, CDNs are getting more powerful. You can run a lot of logic at the CDN level. And so websites and web apps, that artificial difference is sort of 
removed completely because you can make something incredibly static have logic like redirects for instance where you can route a user from one asset to another very good that is okay amel we pitched to you two minutes to respond well, the only thing about that argument that uh, was made that made sense to me was when she said um, the lines that uh, something um, that web apps and uh, websites, it makes sense for them to be distinguished as differently. So I just wanted to say um, thanks for agreeing with our argument uh, in one line, Divya. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was taken out of context. Just... Yeah, whatever. Anyways, so uh, case in Quick, point. But what's anyway. the fallacy? <laughs> okay. It's the whatever. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's really important for us to start educating users around the scale of the web, especially as users are accessing the web through mobile devices, understanding that a site, uh, a simple kind of a bulletin board for the web um, is really different than, you know, building complex interactive experience, which, you know, with, with a lot of read-write, a lot of data usage, you know, just p potentially just more assets to download up front. Right. And so I think it's important for us to start making the web more accessible in terms of its ability to kind of, I think, have its scales and tiers. And I think we all fundamentally agree that, you know, a web app is certainly an evolution of, you know, good old fashioned websites, but they are absolutely not the same. And nor do they take the same level of skill to build, you know, or create or maintain. You know, I think tossing something up on, you know, WordPress as a static site is not the same level of effort as, you know, building a, uh, you know, a WASM game engine, like in the browser. And so you have fundamentally different, like skills needed to uh, perform the work. And therefore, you know, that alone, uh, for me, just speaks to why they are fundamentally different things. Uh, yep, very good. Time's pretty much up. So we'll pass it now to Faraz and give you Faraz one minute to respond. Go ahead. So I'd like to remind everyone, the premise that we're debating here is that web apps are fundamentally different than websites. And I'll just focus on the word there, fundamental. The web apps are fundamentally different than websites. What we've heard from the other side is an argument that web apps and websites are kind of different. They've argued that web apps and websites are built a bit differently, that they're an evolution, and that users may perceive a bit of difference in the degree to which a website versus a web app is dynamic and you know the degree to which the back button may or may not work but fundamentally here the argument is about whether web apps are fundamentally different than websites and i think if we were debating the difference between websites and native apps there would be a very fundamental difference there but since we're talking about a uh, an issue of degree here you know a website can be a little bit more appy or a little bit less appy I argue that really the, web app, the difference between websites and web apps is really not that great, and it's certainly not great enough to rise to the level of describing it as fundamentally different. And so for that reason, I urge you to support our side. Okay, very good. Nick, the final word of this segment. You got one minute. All right. Uh, so I'll, I'll just respond to both of my opponents real quick, and I'll say that uh, in Divya's argument, uh, she talked about uh, being able to do more at the CDN level, uh, which stands for content delivery network, content being the key word there. So you're delivering content to consume. And so therefore, you're thinking more of websites, uh, whereas web apps uh, would be more 
don't know. I, I lost my, my <laughs> I lost where I was going with that thread. Well, so I'll just go for us. Which would happen somewhere else, typically. Yes. A server. <laughs> Phone a friend. Thanks. No. <laughs> uh, and for us, you were talking about, you know, maybe if we were comparing web apps to native apps, for example. And I would say that, that with the underlying APIs that you get natively, like battery and geolocation and compass and all of these, uh, and with things like service workers, where can you draw the line between what's a native app and a, a web app? You can install them just like you would a regular app. It's just the underlying technology that they're built in, but it's they are applications. <laughs> and um, all right, saved by the bell. <laughs> saved by the bell. There, <laughs> we've now reached the conclusion of our formal, semi-formal debate. I've been keeping score the entire time. And I'm now ready to claim the victor. How does this algorithm work? Tell tell us. (laughs) He has a web application to do that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And the winner of this debate is me, because the only way to win is by not participating. And I'm the only (laughs) one here who did not actually play. So uh, I win. Congratulations to me. After this break, we're going to come back. We're going to peel back the veil. We're going to talk about what our participants actually believe, maybe get into a real-world debate, around the nuances here because there's no nuance in that premise but there's a lot of nuance in this discussion so we'll return and we will see what everybody really thinks right after this What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Air and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify issues across web and mobile apps, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to Raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, Raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. Okay, so let's talk about what we really think about this. The premise was web apps and websites are fundamentally different, and that's worded in such a way that it is defensible from either side. I think for Ross, keyed in on the word fundamental, which I thought was a strong argument myself, even though he still lost at the end of the day. But (laughs) (laughs) remember, I was the only one that won, so sorry, but uh, you participated, which was foolish. Um, but what, is it, what do y'all really think? So do you make distinguishments? Are they fundamentally, are they different but not fundamentally different? Like we can just relax and chat. What do y'all really think about this? I felt like there was, the, the PWA argument was a good one because it, it is the weird divide. Like in a way, I think there's like, there was two sets of arguments in a way. It was like the websites, web apps. Actually, the part that was like hardly talked about was the, well, we talked about it a lot. It was like websites and web apps, like the full stack versus like Jamstack maybe is the term. Um, and then there was the other argument, which was like mobile and web merging. 
which I thought that one was more nuanced because the, the first argument was like, it's very clear that we're moving away from this website web app thing. But I felt like with mobile and this idea of like cross-platform where it's like React Native, there's, I guess, Native Script still a thing, Ionic, and F I guess Flutter is also really exciting for a lot of developers. And that's just like using, well, Flutter is unique and actually everything else is unique except for React Native because <laughs> React Native is like building on a framework that developers already know. So if you're building like websites, well, React apps, you would be able to build like something hybrid. And there's a lot of other frameworks like Nuxt and Next, and they do like kind of this idea of like universal apps. But yeah, I thought that was a good argument, honestly. Mm. Just, just saying. Even though I still disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I think the focus on how the technologies are, you know, involved in building websites versus web apps is that's one way of looking at the at the argument. I was looking at it more from like, what is the user experience like for the end user? And I think that when you tell people about a website, you know, you say, hey, have you have you seen this app or have you seen this site? The main like differentiating line that they think about in their mind is like whether it's a website or it's an app. Um, and an app meaning like a native app that they'll search for in like their their app store, mm -hmm. and and uh, so like I've I've built sites before where people are like like searching for it in the app store and they're like I can't find your app and it's like well it's it's because it's a website it's not an app uh, yet um, so you know go to Safari and search you know search for it there and you'll find it but like from a user perspective I actually agree with the argument I was make that I was assigned to you know the side that I was assigned to because like I don't think users are really thinking about when they go to Safari or whatever browser on their phone and they're, then they're going to, to some kind of website. They're not really thinking about whether it's an app or it's a website. It's just that they're in the web browser. And, you know, like, I don't know, yeah, I don't know how you distinguish there for, for the user because, you know, before we even had like the concept of a web app, there were like, for example, e-commerce sites that implemented things like shopping carts where there was like state on the server and, you know, you're adding things to your cart and you're adjusting the quantity and you're, you're checking out and you're doing all this very stateful stuff. And nowadays, a site or an app like that would be built with like more of the sort of web appy technologies, you know, like React or something. And you would very clearly argue, oh, that's obviously an app because it's using all this client side stuff and all this fancy routing and all this 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 really complicated um, machinery to, to do it. But you know, we had this we had that kind of stuff in the '90s too, and that was definitely and back in the '90s. I think that would have been called a website for sure because it was just a, a website with like a server, like a PHP server on the back end doing some stateful things. So. This is all very, it's all very mixed up. I, I don't think users really think about the difference. So if right. we're looking at it from the user perspective, that, then I think it's really the same. To add to that, so when I think about a quintessential web app, maybe like the first, at least for me, major web app was Gmail, where it was like, as a informed user, I was like, this seems fundamentally different than other things, but it was still in my browser. And as less informed users, as maybe more mainstream users, I know that, for instance, you know, my parents are on Gmail, and when I talk to them about, you know, their email, it's like, do I, I'll tell them certain configurations, or I don't know if it's like blacklist or whatever you're going to do, those can only be done via the web versus inside their mail app that's connected to Gmail. Their differentiation is, is it in my mail app or is it on the web you know, and I'll tell them, like, go to the web interface to do that. And to them, there's no differentiation. Like, if it's on the web, it's a website thing. And if it's in an app, it's an app thing. So I think that is an anecdotal piece of evidence around the concept that end users are like, is it in a website? Is it in a web browser or not? And that's probably where they think about it 
or is it maybe even the other way around? Is it in an app or not? Which I think PWAs do kind of start to change that calculus a little bit, you know, because if you find it in the app store and you install it onto your phone and it is a website that's being wrapped and doing fancy things, now is it different than a website? Yeah, it's interesting to think about it that way because like a lot of native apps, like I know Facebook has like their own browser thing that they're working on and it's just like, it's an app kind of, but it's an in-app browser window and so users are still interacting with the website so to speak but they see it in the app shell and so from that perspective it seems different i feel like maybe instead of developing um their own browser or browser extension or whatever maybe facebook should just give all of their users like cameras to put in their house it would just be easier to keep track of users you know it's called a portal <laughs> <laughs> a portal yeah they already they already did that <laughs> Sorry, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop. Amal is on fire. It's no, like... it's fine. It's fine. I'll it just, you know, whatever. It's fine. I mean, I'll... User privacy is important, but not to social media companies. So That was actually going to be one of my arguments for the distinction between the two was uh, a web app is something that you're going to use to do something for you. And a website is going to be something that is spying on you for their benefit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad argument. That's a really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so for me, this is like super nuanced because, you know, I think it's very important that we continue to blur the lines between, you know, native desktop apps or native mobile apps and, you know, web apps, mainly because, you know, the web is definitely the, the better platform for, for users because it's open, but it's also it's got to get better. It's got to get better for like small screens. It's got to get better for other, you know, ephemeral interactions. I think it definitely does have to get better. And I think when we think about the difference between the two, I think developers obviously talk and think about these things more often. Fundamentally, are they different? I don't think they're different because for us, as arguments strong, like the technical ways that they're delivered and executed, like it's all the same technology, it's all the same platform. So they aren't fundamentally different. But what if we change that to it's useful to distinguish? Because I think when we, when we get to the side of somebody who's building one of these things, I think that's where we start to consider them different. Like, what am I building and how am I trying to build it? What's it going to be? Does that change the technologies that I select? Does that change the decisions that I make? And I think at that point, maybe you can say fundamentally, but at least there is a distinguishment that says, I'm building a rich in-browser experience which is going to be app-like, and I can probably enumerate what app-like means, and therefore I'm going to pick this technology stack or these particular ways of building it or this architecture in order to make that the best thing it can be versus what I'm really making over here is a content-first publishing website, and so I might reach for different technologies. I think where that's where it starts to become more of a useful way of thinking about things, or do you guys think that even that is not worth distinguishing? I mean, everybody's building their websites like like web apps these days. You know, even a, a lot of people are just using the same tools for everything. So, but I agree. I think it is that is a use, more useful place to distinguish between the two when you're thinking a, from a developer's perspective. Like, what, how should I build this? There's definitely different mm -hmm. decisions that you can make there. I think GitHub's such a fascinating case because it really yeah. was a thing that moved from kind of website looking things to like actually there's some pretty rich interactions now, although they've kept. You're, they're not a single page app, you know, like they didn't come out and say, we are an app, right? It was a place to host your code. And of course, there's tons of stuff that makes that possible, which is very app-like. But the interface was very much like, you know, search for a thing, look, read a thing, find a thing, right? Comment. These are very basic interactions, but over time it's gotten more and more rich. And they really have blurred the lines between the two. 
Web 2.0. <laughs> the rise of user interactivity. Yep. Honestly, I mean, it's the same with like, if you look at websites that were just like purely one, one way, where it's like a user didn't really interact, they kind of hyperlinked. It was just like hyperlinks to different things and everything was static. And now a lot of sites are very interactive and in, you know, like you have things like sockets and WebRTC that allows people to like communicate with each other on a single browser tab like session, which I think is really cool and powerful. And so the line is blurred definitely, but yeah, I think there's something to be said about from a user's perspective, they might see the difference. Actually, I think a really interesting argument that we can have later, like another yup nope, is websites are dead long live web apps just to like troll <laughs> this <laughs> argument further. There you go. Write it down. Write it down. Future premise. <laughs> oh, by the way, out there uh, listening, we do take episode requests. So if there's a specific yep, nope premise that you want debated, we are happy to take that up. We're happy to invite on guests and other people to debate these topics, not just us regular panelists. So to do that, all you have to do is head to changelaw.com slash request, select JS Party in the dropdown, drop a topic, drop a guest. You can pick your panelists. We know we've had specific panelists requested for specific topics. We're cool with that too. So just a shout out out there. If you're listening and you want to hear more debates like this with premises that you come up with, please do drop us a note. We would love to hear from you. Okay, final thoughts before we call it a day. This was a lot of fun. I always enjoy the argumentation, whether or not I agree or disagree. And I always enjoy declaring myself the winner. Nick, you've been quiet recently. Do you have any thoughts on the distinguishments, the the usefulness, and what you really believe in this context? Yeah, I think just, I think going back to maybe what Frost was saying about how like everything is kind of being built as a web app nowadays. Like that's, that's totally true. My blog that I haven't really posted on since 2015, I just redid with 11D and it's all JavaScript, but at the end of the day, it's no JavaScript at all running on the page. So it feels like an app that I'm working on, but it's served like a site and to an end user, I don't think that there's any difference. So I think that's the the most important takeaway. Mm-hmm. I have to say like to, to that point, Nick, people who can write or build web apps, we tend to kind of over-engineer everything. So, you know, you don't need React running your blog, for example, right? Or even an NPM dependency tool chain, for example, right? Um, Obviously, like you can do whatever you want. You're an engineer, you can do it. But I, I think it's important for us to really think about the future of the web. And for me, the future of the web needs to include like more web authors and content creators. And like, what does that world look like? And so... And not just like folks posting content through social media platforms like TikTok, right? Like you see the engagement level there for people who are interested in in putting things out there onto the web. But, you know, I, um, I think it would be nice for people to be able to put content onto the open web without that intermediary. And so, you know, and, and, and for that, we're going to need to kind of, I think, have a more distinct, simpler, more accessible class of tools and, you know, we really want to get there. That's actually really why I think the distinguishment between sites and apps can help, I think, define those boundaries for people, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you know, so. Maybe maybe if we can quantify the level of over-engineering that's going into something, we can distinguish it on a scale yeah. between website <laughs> and web app. Right. Yeah, maybe we could do it on page size. Like if it's three megabytes of JavaScript <laughs> bundle, then it's a web app, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if it's 10 megabytes of images, then it's a website. There yeah. you go. <laughs> wow. Totally fair argument. 
I also think there's something to be said about like the terminology. So you know how web developer and software engineer, like people choose whichever to use depending mm-hmm. on how they want to be perceived. So for example, I'll just give you my biased opinion, which is whenever I tell people I'm a web developer, it's not as cool as saying I'm a software engineer because I'm just like, I'm a software engineer holds a lot of gravity. And also in certain countries, you're not allowed to say you're a software engineer without an actual degree. So it, it, there's like this distinction, which I imagine is the same with websites and web apps to some extent, where it's not as cool when I say I'm working on a website, <laughs> but when I say I'm working on a web app, people are like, that's awesome. What are you mm-hmm. work like? What are you using? But when they when it's website, it's like oh, it's just HTML and CSS, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. on GeoCities like again. Let me go on record and say websites are cool. Websites are cool. Come on, <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. What about the term programmer? Do any of you call yourselves programmers? I call myself a programmer. A programmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's appropriation. <laughs> Take it as that. Yeah, you can't yeah. steal my don't steal my culture. Yeah. yeah, that is total appropriation. <laughs> so it's funny. I've heard that I've been around long enough to see the transition, and I know a lot of people actually take offense to certain. Like, uh, I've seen blog posts like, "Do not call me a coder because they think coder oh, yeah. is belittling." Mm-hmm. But then, like, "Don't call me a programmer." Like, "Don't call me a coder. Call me a programmer." Don't call me a programmer. Mm-hmm. Call me a developer. Don't call me a developer. Call me an engineer. I, actually, I'm an architect. I feel like we kind of get mm-hmm. caught up on these things, and because each of us does view the world through a different lens. These words have different connotations or like, to me, I don't think I'm a smaller, or I don't take it as speaking down to me to call me a developer versus an engineer. I couldn't care less, but I can see where to for Divya, especially if it has to do with like certain, you know, job opportunities or whatever her context is like engineer is more uplifting or uh, she'd rather be called that. So it's, it's weird because we all kind of just have our own ways of, defining in our heads what the words mean, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting topic for a debate, though. Like, the, the, like these words. Um, I remember Silicon Valley, that show on HBO. I remember getting so distinctly annoyed every time I heard the word coder. Because I was like, you know, it, I do personally feel like coder just it belittles, like, the craft mm. a little. What if coding was the craft? Yeah, but like it's yeah. This is completely like subjective, right? That's why it's interesting because we all bring our own contextual baggage to the words, you know, mm-hmm. and then we interpret them according to us. And I've I used to write for a blog called Fuel Your Coding, and I thought it was totally cool. And then I read somebody else saying that, like, <laughs> like you, that says coding is not cool, and I'm like, well, I thought it was cool when I wrote, you know. But yeah. I think maybe coding attaches to the code monkey term, which yeah, is incredibly. Yeah belittling right yeah. and that whole like hey just go grab a ticket and write the code or like that yeah. makes us seem like we are not all that we are and so i understand that maybe there's an attachment there but yeah. it's a fascinating linguistics problem yeah yeah i think for some reason i just feel like programmer is the most pure term like a yeah. person who makes programs it doesn't have the baggage of coder and right. it doesn't have the like software engineer feels a little bit grasping to me mm-hmm. like like in the same way that the term computer science is also grasping it's like Oh, we got to add the word yep. science to make it seem like we're legit, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, we, Please respect us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, c- computer science? Science. Yeah, because you're yeah. adding oh. the word science on the end. It's like, oh, the science really? of computers when really you know, it could just be called computation or... Computation. Also, like... I teach computation. <laughs> well, because like it's, it's, it's not about the... It's not about, like, the physical computer hardware that, like, we're not... Like, you wouldn't call... Uh, 
I'm trying to think of a good example. You, you wouldn't call it, it's weird to call an entire field, um, like, like to name it based on the tool that you use, like the physical tool that you use. Oh, I see. Really yeah. what we're doing is like, it's like more abstract. Bio, right? Yeah, biology mm -hmm. like assays, you know, or yeah, whatever, like yes, spectrums. Exactly. It's, or, like, yeah. it's, it's not like microscope science. I yeah. think it's, it's the same with like when you see people having degrees and there are some countries where they call computer science like informatics. Mm -hmm. And then when you see that, you're like, oh, they're not really a computer scientist. And you're like, they're studying the same thing. Informatics is a study of com computational systems. That's yeah. literally what computer science is. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, I, I have to say that there is a sciencey part to comp sci. And I think it starts at the graduate level. Like, but there's, there's a ton of theory. And I don't know if that really, for me, falls under the computation description, you know? Ah, interesting. So it's like research versus computational theory could work instead of computer science. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's definitely there's a, there's a lot of theory. Yeah. Actually, that's so cool because I I have used that before when I talk about myself. I never talk about myself as a computer scientist because I am not very theory driven. I tend to be very like vocation, like how does it yeah. work? How do you implement it driven? And I think I've used this distinction with certain, when I have certain conversations with people, when they talk about like programming languages and I talk about like the syntax and how exactly it works when you're building a thing and the ergonomics, and then they're coming from it from, isn't it beautiful from a research perspective in terms of how the language is organized? And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. but it sucks to work with though. Mm. Well, I think we have stumbled upon a couple of future yep, nope debates around terminology and its mm -hmm. usefulness. But uh, quite a ways upstream from where we started today, web apps and websites, that being said, a fun debate, a fun post-conversation. And uh, got to give it a shout out to Thomas Eckert in the chat for the best joke of the day, which I missed on when uh, Amel so called herself a programmer. <laughs> it was appropriation. Appropriation. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, oh my God, our listeners are so smart. Yes. So you and Thomas. <laughs> So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is our show for this week, and we'll talk to you next time. Support our work and help ensure JS Party continues into the future with a Changelog++ membership. Ditch the ads, get closer to the metal, and directly contribute to all of Changelog's podcasts at changelog.com slash plus plus. Once again, that's changelog.com slash plus plus. Music for JS Party is provided by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and we're brought to you by our awesome sponsors. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly for their continued support. On the next episode, I'm joined by K-Ball and special guest Eric Normand to talk about functional programming with JavaScript. Stay tuned for that. It's coming at you next week. Everybody, if you got what it takes, cause I'm Curtis Blow and I want you to know that these are the boys. I had to fact check you because you just stated that one of your arguments <laughs> is the other team got fact checked. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's Which shows how bad they are. And I was like, well, hold on, I was about to fact check you. I was yeah. trying to use as many appeals to uh, to like different you know different fallacies. Oh, like different fallacies. Yeah. So I used appeal to authority at the end, and then mm -hmm. I was gonna the one about them being fact checked was like whatever the one is where you where you um, disparage the other side's uh, right. cre credibility. Right. 
like an ad hominem kind of a thing. Yeah, and then well, yeah, kind of. And then I tried to do, uh, I redefined. I don't know if that if that one, if that is one too, but I like changed the goalposts. Uh, redefine the premise. Mm-hmm. I also did the thing that Biden does, where he's like, "Come on." <laughs> <laughs> Or what does he say? Does he say like... Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, come, he's like, on, come man. on, man. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. should have said that's a bunch of malarkey. That's what you should have said. It's like, uh, we're going to end up with so many adorable isms from him over the next four come years. Come on, man. Yeah, it's funny, dude. All right, should we hop back in? So now we'll flip the script and we'll go Divya and Faros first. Is that right? Yes. Because Nick was first first. Faros, so. did you want to go first or what do you... How do you feel? Uh, you, you can go. No, you... I, okay. I I've already dropped the mic, so. <laughs> Pick it back up. Pick it back up. <laughs> <laughs> the show's not over. <laughs> I love how Nick just said, <laughs> websites have content and web apps. <laughs> I, I realized that I was making that argument. They don't I just tried to step away. And... <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Wait, Jared, you need to share this algorithm, dude. You know. Well, here's the algorithm. I listen to all you guys, and then I declare myself the winner. That's the <laughs> algorithm. <laughs> it's the simple algorithm. It's just like while true, Jared wins. You know. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So, oh, thank you. I'm getting congratulated in our chat room. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, cheers. You know. Cheers. Hey, Aaron. Technically, you also won because the only way you win is by not participating. And you and I both just sit around. Is that how like kids soccer looks, dude? Oh, yeah. That's kind of different. Everybody winning. wins. Here, nobody wins except for me and Aaron Yoshitake. <sighs> this is the downside of being an adult. <laughs> <laughs> one the, of one, many. the one thing that is stuck one. about being an adult is we don't all get to win our, I know. our little participation trophies. I mean, I'll send you a trophy if you want it. I don't want a trophy. I just want orange slices. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other downside of being an adult. You got to buy your own orange slices. You, know? you have to cut them yourself. You want them sliced, you got to slice them. I know. 